Good morning, everyone. Great to see you all this morning. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. This weekend brings us to the conclusion of a series that we've entitled Just Walk Across the Room. It all began really last fall when we'd asked you to begin praying uh, about people that are lost sheep, people that don't know the Lord, people that you love in your family, maybe your friendships, maybe your workplace or neighborhood, and uh, pray about them and then submit their names. If you'd be willing to pray for them and reach out to them in some way in this coming year. And uh, we've submitted over 400 names represented by those green cards on the sides there. And then on Vision Weekend in September, challenged you to come forward and be anointed with oil and and be commissioned as ambassadors for Christ. Every believer is, actually, uh, called an ambassador for Christ. And many of you came forward for that anointing, but whether you did or not, if you're a follower of Christ, you're an ambassador for Christ, and, and you're called to reach out. Well, in these weeks, we had a break for Thanksgiving, but we have considered that reaching out to them may be as simple as a walk across the room. We've read an amazing book uh, called Just Walk Across the Room by Bill Hybels. Some of you may not have finished it yet. That's okay. Don't let go of that book. Keep reading it. It's worth it. It's, it's just an amazing book. Some of you have gone to Ohana groups. You have uh, talked about it and you know just maybe come to a deeper understanding of it. And each weekend we focused on it in messages here. The first weekend, Pastor Jerry talked to us about the single greatest gift that you can give to anyone is to introduce them to the God who created them, who loves them, and offers forgiveness through Christ. That's the greatest gift you can give to anyone. The next weekend, Charlie talked to us about um, living in 3D. Remember what those were? Develop friendships with people. Simply develop friendships. Takes time. Takes a walk across the room, but develop friendships, discover their stories, and then discern appropriate steps uh, to just help them, nudge them a little bit closer to Jesus. That's living in 3D. And then Jay Charman, in his inimitable way, uh, talked to us about the power of story. How we need to understand and be able to express God's story how he loved us enough to come among us and build a bridge through the cross that his son would die on to bring us back to himself. God's story. But then also our own story. That each of us has a story that God's writing. And if we're a follower of Christ, we have a before and an after. And he challenged us to reduce that faith story to 100 words. That's not easy, is it? Uh, Many of you have done it. Many of you haven't yet, but I really encourage you to keep at it. I got mine down to 99, and uh, it's just an exercise that can really help us in in clarity, be able to not only understand it, but to be able to share it with others. Well, this morning, I want to conclude this series with a message called Grander Living, because I really believe, as Bill Heibel says, most of us as followers of Jesus live at a level below what God has in mind for us. When he called us to follow him, he didn't call us to exist, 
or subsist until we go to be with him. He called us to an adventure, to a new level of living. Now, I know that some of you through these weeks have really grabbed hold of this. You really have. And I've heard some of your stories about how uh, you're sensing the leading of the Holy Spirit and you're walking across the room or the office or whatever it might be and actually sharing with people. We're seeing more conversations go up. A lot of, uh, we have a lot more than that. I really encourage you after the service, go up there and write out something about a praise, about a conversation you've had or an invitation. Uh, I'm happy with those. I'm not satisfied with the number we have up there. Some of you are doing it. And you're seeing some excitement in your life that you haven't seen. You're seeing people respond. Uh, some of you really haven't gotten into it. That's okay. I want to challenge you this morning. Don't let these four weeks pass without grabbing hold of this. This really is life-changing. This isn't just a program. This is a call to a new way of living. Uh, Jesus invites every one of you within the hearing of my voice to this. No question about it. And I want you to take this personally this morning as you think, is Jesus talking to me about a new way of living, a grander level of living? And I believe the answer is absolutely. And so well, let's consider what that means. There's an outline in your bulletin, a couple of simple points here. Here's the first one. Living the grander vision means that your priority is people. As a follower of Jesus, of course, he's your greatest priority, but your priority as a Christ follower is people, just like that was his priority. Now, Jesus dramatically made that point to some folks at the Sea of Galilee one morning, and that's recorded in Luke chapter 5, and here's how it begins. Now, it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's one of the names for the Sea of Galilee, Lake of Tiberias. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, another name for Peter, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he, Jesus, sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. Picture this scene. Jesus is teaching down there by the shore. The crowds are growing. They're pressing in on him. People at the back are having a hard time hearing. And Jesus sees those boats there. He sees the fishermen over there pulling the seaweed and everything out of their nets. Knows they've been out fishing all night. And he stepped in one of those boats, turned to those guys and said, would you row out here and let me speak from the boat, knowing that would be a natural amphitheater? Well, these fishermen have work to do. They're busy. They're tired. Uh, they've probably been enjoying the teaching in the background, kind of like having you know, music in the background. Maybe they really were enthralled by it. But I suspect that maybe they just wanted to finish their task and go home and get some sleep because they would need to go out again the next night. We know later in the passage they didn't catch anything that night. And so Jesus says, would you get in the boat and row out? And so Peter, okay, he did. Now maybe he was excited about it. Maybe there was a little pressure from the crowd all looking at him now, like, what are you going to do, Peter? And so he stepped into the boat and he rows out. And now where's Peter? He's sitting in the boat listening to Jesus. He's not doing his work anymore. He has no choice. He's sitting in the boat listening to Jesus. And uh, it says, when Jesus had finished speaking, 
He said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. I think he may have said it something like that. Because I think he had misgivings about this. I think in his mind he's thinking, okay, like Jesus, I know you're a great teacher. I know that you worked in your dad's carpenter shop over there in Nazareth, but guess what? We're the, we're the fishermen. We're the experts at this. We've been out all night. We haven't caught a, a minnow. And now you're asking me to row out and let down the nets? This could be embarrassing. But I'll do it. He was reluctant, but he obeyed. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. That would have been James and John. Peter and Andrew were in this boat with Jesus now, and James and John. And, uh, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Imagine the scene. I mean... They'd got nothing, and now they're hauling in those nets, and they're thinking, what's so heavy in here? We catch a rock or what? And those nets are so full, they start popping. The nets are breaking, and their eyes start popping as they're pulling fish over into the boat. Can you imagine? They're hooping and hollering, and Jesus is probably standing back laughing at their exuberance. Fish are flopping all over the boat. The people on the shore, I bet, are cheering. They'd never seen anything like this. And then it hits Peter. It says, but when Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Well, these guys were stunned by what had just happened. And then they realized it isn't because Jesus is a skillful fisherman. He's more than a fisherman. We have somebody in our presence we don't even begin to understand, but we don't belong in his presence. And then Jesus says, don't, don't be afraid. You've been catching fish. If you follow me, guys, you're going to be altering the lives of people for eternity, not just making a living. And so that's why they followed Jesus. They followed him to a new level of living which would forever change not only their destiny, but the lives of countless billions of people. That was an amazing fish story, and it's a true story. Let me tell you about another fish story that happened to me lately. As some of you know, uh, Dee and I were with a group of 31 people from this church uh, and our missionaries in the Holy Land. And we went to the Sea of Galilee. I've actually been on these trips uh, twice before. And each time, I, I've taken along a fishing pole. And Dee says, are you going to take that fishing pole again? And she saw me bring it out, and I said, oh, well, yes, I am. And I've never caught anything, uh, but I don't give up. You know, I, we, we take a little sail on the Sea of Galilee in one of those boats, and I've 
taken along a lure and tossed it out each time before to no avail. Nothing, you know. So I thought, well, you know, come on, maybe this time. So uh, I take my pole, and uh, early one morning, I get up. We're in Tiberias on the south side of the Sea of Galilee, and uh, get my fishing tackle and rig it up. And it's really early, and I know I don't have any bait. Kitchen isn't even open, but I know these people are in there working. They may give me something for bait. And so I step out of my room, and lo and behold, the Lord's provision, there's somebody that has some plates from room service right outside their door. (laughs) And they've already eaten, so that was good. So I just peel back the the cellophane, and, and lo and behold, there's some lunch meat. And so I pick that up and go out there. And it's just a a beautiful morning. And so I go out and uh, cast my pole out and, uh, you know, uh, wait for something to happen. And and the sun is just beginning to come up. And, uh, wow, it's just a glorious morning. Harry Higa's out there. Uh, He's been out there early. John Mulkey. Uh, is out there, one of our missionaries. Next slide, please. And um, yeah, there's the sun, sunrise coming up. And then you can see in this next slide, yeah, there I am fishing. And so I'm waiting and just enjoying the morning, worshiping the Lord, waiting for that fish to come. And all of a sudden, he hits it and he takes off. And I'm like, whoa, this is a big one. And I'm fighting that fish for, I don't know, maybe five, ten minutes, and, and uh, I'm about 30 feet up above the lake because we're, it's a hotel balcony out there, uh, walkway, and um, finally get the fish up, you know, he's wore out, he's down below. Would you believe that that fish was about that long? Some of you are skeptical. Some of you don't believe that. Well, that's why I snapped a picture with my cell phone. And there he is down there. And he was about this long. He was a catfish. I figured about six pounds. And uh, of course, I knew I didn't really want to keep him anyway. And so I think, well, if I pull him up hand over hand, probably the line will break. Thankfully, the hook popped right out of his mouth. And he went uh, swimming off. But that was exciting. I loved that. I like to catch fish. But you know what? If I went out there every morning and caught a fish like that, Pretty soon I'd be bored stiff. It's like, really? Okay, there's got to be more to life than that, right? And, you know, I hope that whatever you're doing daily, whether your job or whatever it is, that you really enjoy that. That's great. And whatever your hobby is or your avocation or your interest, I hope you're really enjoying that. But there's more than that to life. Jesus has a much grander adventure of living than that. Because much more than whatever we're doing, whether it's catching fish or whatever, uh, to see someone come closer to Jesus or finally cross that line and make a decision and, and find salvation, that's as good as it gets. And when we've had a part in that, because we walked across the room, that is grander living. That's an adventure for Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus wants to do in each of our lives. So we had to make our priority people. And secondly, living the grander vision means that your focus is on potential. Not what you see on the surface, but 
what's underneath that often we can't even see. What did Jesus see in these guys by the seaside that morning? I mean, they were from Galilee. They, they were looked down upon by the people in Jerusalem and Judea. These guys were uneducated. They spoke with a Galilean accent. Um, they were blue-collar laborers. I mean, are you kidding for a worldwide mission that Jesus had in mind? No, he saw the potential in them. He saw that potential in a, a tax collector by the name of Matthew as he walked by his booth and called him to follow him. A traitor to Israel. A Jewish man who'd sold out his country and he said, come follow me. And he did. Next thing you know, he's having a party. He's inviting all his friends to meet this Jesus and many of them get saved. Jesus saw the potential in, in a zealot by the name of Simon who wanted to overthrow the uh, Romans in the country and was willing to kill to do so. But Jesus saw the potential, invited him to come. And I wonder about you. Who saw the potential in you? Who walked across the room for you? What did they see before you came to Christ? Was it like stunning? Like, oh my goodness, this person would be the right candidate to be the stuff of a disciple. It wasn't for me, I'll tell you what. Uh, you know, I think many of you have been working on your testimonies, faith stories. As I was working on mine this last week, it's rather humbling to see where we were. And um, I realized as I was trying to condense those words that I was far from a good candidate uh, to be a disciple of Jesus. And yet that pastor saw some potential there and just kept loving me. I mean, I was uh, in construction. I was foul-mouthed, hard-drinking, just a self-centered individual for sure. And yet Jesus touched my heart and and uh, brought me into his kingdom. He's still working on me and got a long ways to go. But that guy saw something there or believed that the Lord had something there. And I believe that's true of every one of you who's a follower of Jesus. Somebody didn't give up on you. But sometimes we see people and we think, there's no way she would ever come to Christ. There's no way that guy would ever uh, turn to Jesus. But they will. Because God loves those lost sheep more than we do. And he's been working in their hearts and he can speak to their hearts in ways that we can't. But he just wants to use us to walk across the room and have whatever part it is at that point to play in their lives. It might be to invite them to receive Christ, but it might be just to love them and pray for them and hear their story. And we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in that regard. I loved it uh, when during the Thanksgiving services we had last week when we shared about just walking across the room as part of that. Uh, one of the folks in our services talked about how he's 80 years old, never really led anyone to Christ, but just told the story about God had just uh, shown him this homeless man, and he began to befriend him. And then over a period of time, God spoke to him that you need to share the good news with him. And he did, and went and sat down with that man, and that man opened his heart to Jesus, and how much it meant to this person in our church family. Well, that's an, a destiny changed. And so when we begin to see that, we say, wow, God can do that in my life. And that makes life an adventure. Some of you know that it's football season. And um, in fact, this afternoon, the uh, Philadelphia Eagles play the Seattle Seahawks. It was fairly early in October that Dee told me a story she'd run across on the Internet 
about the Eagles. Any of you hear what's been happening in the Eagles, on the Eagles team this year? Carson Wentz is the quarterback, this young quarterback, and it became apparent early on he lives for the Lord. Well, uh, here was the picture that came up on the internet, and uh, you can see here that there's a, a pool there, and there's a couple people embracing in the pool. Here's the story underneath it. The Philadelphia Eagles have been one of the most exciting teams to watch early in this NFL season. Some would attribute their hot 4-1 start to the players' faith. The movement started with young quarterback Carson Wentz, whose personal slogan is, Audience of One, a reference to playing for God, as well as a collection of Eagles players who have shared their testimonies via devotions. Just hours before the kickoff of their Thursday night game against the Carolina Panthers, many of the Eagles players met at the hotel pool as wide receiver Marcus Johnson was baptized. Johnson was surrounded by several praying teammates. And then they had the comment, Baptism is a sign of repentance in which a Christian is dunked underwater to symbolize his old life coming back out of... Uh, coming to an end. When he is raised back out of the water, it represents the new life he has in Christ. And this is Marcus Johnson's tweet. First time being baptized. Corporate worship is a beautiful thing. Cleansed and reborn in Jesus' name. Isn't that wonderful? Because Carson Wentz, yeah, praise God. Look at those guys. Because Carson Wentz just walked across the locker room. And so did some of his fellow players. It just takes caring, and a little risk, and loving people. Some of you remember the play that we had here a couple of years ago on campus, Freud's last session. Our own Mark Branner produced and directed it, and it was a, the play was a debate between C.S. Lewis, the Christian professor and author, uh, debating Sigmund Freud, who was an atheist and psychiatrist. And um, I brought a friend named Neil. Now, I've told you before about my friend named Dave Zuccolato. Some of you know Dave. He and his wife Rita were here for a number of years, and they moved to the mainland. But David would always uh, invite me to play golf with him once in a while up at uh, Mililani, and, but he'd always invite other people to play, like, like Derek LeBenz, who uh, was one of those golfing buddies who because of that, came to one of our Easter services I invited him to, has since come to Christ and is a servant in this church. He helped decorate this yesterday, actually. Been coming for a couple of years now. Well, another guy that uh, Dave Zuccolato would invite was Neil. And I got to know Neil, and uh, I invited him to that Freud's last session. So he came. He'd never been to a Christian church, by the way. Still hasn't been to a Christian church service. But he came to that play. And, and um, at the end of the play, uh, C.S. Lewis challenges Sigmund Freud about the question of the existence of God. And he says, the question is too important not to find an answer to. Well, Neil and I walked out of that play, and we hadn't gone 10 feet, and he turned to me and said, that's right. I said, what's that? He said, that question's too important not to find the answer to. <laughs> yeah, I said, that's right, Neil. And we talked about it then. We've talked about it a few times later. But Neil still hasn't come to Christ. But when we were in Israel, 
I got an email from Neil, and he, he, he and I interact by email occasionally. He says, hi, Ron, it's been a while. Wondering how you're doing. I wanted to share a thought. Remember that line from the play at your church where the character, I forgot who, says regarding the existence of God, maybe they will ask, and then it ends. I think that's the key to solving problems on so many levels. There is hope in the questioning, but I've heard that less people are asking, turning away from all things spiritual, which makes us all the same. Hopefully, it will not take a global catastrophe to get us asking. Take care, Neil. P.S. Let's get together after the holidays. I thought, well, I want to get together, and maybe even before the holidays, Neil, and invite you to come to one of our services. What do you think, Derek? I mean, God's doing something in Neil's life. And my point is this. He's doing something in the lives of people we care about. Uh, but it takes time. And, and he has to work through different people, different circumstances, not all up, up to us. But we simply have to walk across the room and give God the opportunity to touch their hearts. And here's the thing. Don't rule anybody out because they've said no at a given time. Listen to what Bill Hybels says in this brief clip. I've been trying to point people to faith for pretty much my whole adult life. And when someone says the door is closed and I'm never going to open it, I never take never as an answer. I, I go, never just means no for now. And people quite often are just one devastation away, one business reversal away, one relational disaster away from having their apple cart so upset that they would consider God afresh. And what I dream of for Christ followers everywhere is that they go to work, they go in the neighborhood, they go to school, they go to the club, wherever they go, that instead of being annoyed by people or put off by people who believe differently and have different lifestyles, just imagine. Imagine what their life would be like if God were at the center. And let that inspire you to pray toward that end. That's the adventure. Just walking across the room, listening to people, sharing with people as God gives us opportunity and seeing what God does. I've been talking to you about living the grander vision, the adventure. There's an author who's a pastor on the East Coast by the name of Mark Batterson. He's written some amazing books. And one of his books is entitled Wild Goose Chase. And I think he really captures what I'm talking about in these sentences. He says, if you would describe your relationship with God as anything less than adventurous, then maybe you think you're following the Spirit, but have actually settled for something less, something I call inverted Christianity. Instead of following the Spirit, we invite the Spirit to follow us. Instead of serving God's purposes, we want Him to serve our purposes. And while this may seem like a subtle distinction, it makes an ocean of difference. The result of this inverted relationship with God is not just a self-absorbed spirituality that leaves us feeling empty. It's also the difference between spiritual boredom and spiritual adventure. Do you see the difference? If we're living our lives, oh yeah, we're Christians, but we're doing our thing, saying, uh, you know, come be with me in this, Lord, that's going to lead to our own pursuits 
and not an adventure. But if we're saying, God, what are you doing? Who do you want me to relate to today, to take time for today? Then it becomes an adventure where the Spirit is prompting and leading us. All the difference in the world. Wild goose chase. Another person that talked about wild geese was a Danish philosopher of yesteryear by the name of Soren Kierkegaard. And he used to tell a parable about geese. He said there was a farmer that was raising geese in his farmyard uh, to fatten them up that they would end up eventually on holiday dinner tables. And so he'd go out every morning and spill the corn out of his bucket and those geese would eat it just from little goslings on upward. And uh, one day, winter began to come on, late fall, and some wild geese were flying over. And some of them noticed those domestic geese down there in the corn that was being spread out, and they drifted down and landed among those domestic geese. And uh, they gobbled up some corn and, and uh, heard from those geese, oh no, he does this every day. He comes out and sprinkles his corn out every morning. Really? Okay, so they hung around and they ate some the next morning. And, and they began to tell those domestic geese the freedom that they had to fly south and how it was so wonderful to be just on their own and, and flying and the freedom involved in that. But they continued to stay because that farmer kept coming out every morning and sprinkling that corn. And so through the weeks that followed, they continued to eat that corn and uh, think, wow, it's getting cold. It, it's time to fly south. And their domestic friends weren't interested, but they said, well, we got to go. And so they took off waddling across the yard and flapping their wings, because, but they couldn't get off the ground because they were fat now. <laughs> and they couldn't fly. And so guess what? They ended up on someone's holiday dinner table. <laughs> and Kierkegaard said, that's the way with too many of us as Christians. We come to Jesus and we're excited about the newfound freedom that we have in Christ and the adventure that this life is. And we're telling people about the Lord. But then we get comfortable. And we settle into our services and our Christian activities. And pretty soon we can't even envision sharing the Lord with others or walking across a room. And the fact is, it's right there for us. We can break out of that. But we have to make a decision to do so. That was the decision those guys had to make by the shore that morning on the Sea of Galilee. They made it. And because of that, they ended up in places they never thought they'd make it to. From that little area in Galilee, they went really all over the known world to share the good news of Christ. Their lives were changed and the destiny of millions and billions of people were changed because they responded to Jesus that day. Now, I believe each one of us has a decision. And I would challenge you, when it comes to just walking across the room, start small, but start. Don't let these four weeks pass and just do nothing about it. Hang on to that book. Go back to it. And take some steps. Here's what I want to suggest to you this morning. When Peter uh, was over there washing the nets, and Jesus stepped into his boat... Do you think Jesus knew whose boat that was? He sure did. That was no coincidence. He knew that was Peter's boat and he needed to make a request of Peter. And when Peter responded to that, when he made a further and a more challenging request, when he said, row out and let down your nets. 
here's what I believe. I really believe this. These last four weeks, Jesus has stepped into your boat. And he said, I, I want you to listen to what I'm saying here. And maybe some of us have needed to pause and hear what he's saying about evangelism. That it isn't as hard as we thought it was. It isn't impossible. It's simply walking across the room. We've had to listen to him. He's not necessarily calling us to leave our vocation, but he's saying, row out a little farther now and let your nets down and see what I'm going to do. Now, we, like Peter, have a choice. We can row back to shore and go about our business, or we can obey the Master and see what God does. And if we'll do that, if you'll do that, if I'll do that, we'll move to a new level of living. Life will become an adventure for us. We will see people come closer and closer to Jesus, and we will see many of them make decisions for Christ. What are we going to do? now that Jesus has stepped into our boat. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, thank you for giving us the opportunity not to just live, but to live the adventure with you. Lord, this is so exciting, a possibility to see a new level of living daily, to enter the adventure that you've called us to. Help us to listen to you, to respond to you, to see people and make them our priority and the potential that is there if we'll just walk across the room. I pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.